Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of the Tuneful, Beatful, Artful podcast, which is supported by the Fire Robin Association for Music Education, and where fire nerds like me come to talk about teaching music and all its ups and downs. How's everyone doing today? Listen, I'm trying to be happy for those of you who are almost done with the school year, because number one, you deserve to be excited since you've worked your butts off all year, and two, I know you'll be revving up for school in late July and early August while I'll be in the middle of my summer. But come on, it's still hard to hear everybody talking about what they're doing for the summer when I feel like there's a mountain to climb. Because here in the Jers, I don't even know if that's a thing, I just made that up. We still have four weeks of school left. And we're hitting that moment. And let's be real about it. You know the moment I'm talking about. The kids are at about 85%. I'm done with school. And the teachers are only slightly behind them. And in some cases, maybe some of you are at a full 100% over it. How do you handle this part of the year? I know some of you are the ones I'm in awe of. You are doing all kinds of amazing things with your kids until the last day. Some of you are donezo and have run out of steam, and probably most of us are somewhere in the middle. We're doing instruction, but we're also doing a whole lot of games and dancing. I want to say something to you, and this is from a person who can be normally pretty snobby about classroom practice. I think you should try to do what you can at this point. Maybe push yourself just a little bit further than feels comfortable or smart, but ultimately, cut yourself some slack. For me, with apologies to the better educators who ring every last moment of instructional time with high quality sequential instruction, the last two to three lessons of school feel like the last episodes of Survivor. My goal is simply to get to the end. And maybe you're not always proud of how you get there. Sometimes you are. Now I know Dr. Firebin is listening to this, shaking his head at me, and he would tell you, Keep teaching until the very last minute of the very last hour. And you should definitely do that. But that's why he's John Feyerabend, and I'm not. (laughs) Either way, we can do it, my teaching compadres. Summer is coming. With that in mind, let's get on to the show. Today's guest, Leslie Weaver, has been teaching in Pennsylvania public schools for the past 14 years. She teaches K-5 to and 7th grade general music, 4th and 5th grade chorus, and three adaptive music classes per week in the Hamburg Area School District in Hamburg, Pennsylvania. She recently became the director of a satellite children's chorus for the Burke's Youth Chorus in Reading, Pennsylvania. Leslie holds a master's degree in music education from Boston University and a master's degree in educational development and strategies from Wilkes University. Leslie was endorsed as a famed teacher trainer in First Steps in Music in July of 2017. She and I chatted a couple months ago before one of our Fame of the Mid-Atlantic get-togethers. Let's listen. So welcome to another episode of the Tuneful, Beatful, Artful Music Teacher. I am really excited to have for the first time on the podcast, famed teacher trainer, Leslie Weaver. Um, We are going to talk about a few different things today. But before we start that, Leslie, what I've kind of done with all of the teacher trainers or 
probably anybody who's mm-hmm. going to be on the podcast is ask the same kind of question. How did you learn about Dr. Feyerabend and his philosophy and his resources? And what kind of compelled you to get on that train and led you to become a teacher trainer? What led you okay. to become a teacher trainer? Well, first, thanks so much for having me. I'm really excited to do this. Uh, I have kind of an unique story, I think, because I originally started my career as an instrumental teacher. And when I decided to leave that position and go into general music, both of my parents were still actively teaching general music. Oh, really? And yeah, I'm sorry to interrupt. Was that happening in your undergraduate years or as you were teaching? As I was teaching. So you were already? Yes, I was already teaching. It was my Uh, So I started teaching general music in my fifth year of teaching public school. Okay, so you were teaching, what were you teaching before then? What was your instrument in undergrad? Clarinet. Okay. I was teaching third to eighth grade. I would have guessed that. I wanted to to say, (laughs) I have, I don't know if like, probably this is a thing I think is special that everybody can do. I have a weird ability to like look at a person. I can at least call the instrument family. Woodwind, brass, or percussion. I see a person and I'm like, you are a flute player. The flute will trick me, though, because I think a lot of people like I did this. I really should have been a brass player, uh, but I ended up being a flute player because they told me to do it. Yeah, they just said that. Right. Anyway, so I, I would have guessed. So I was teaching third to eighth grade music, uh, instrumental music lessons and band in School District of Philadelphia, actually. Oh. Yeah. So I wanted to be a little closer to home. I'm from Reading, Pennsylvania, pretty much. And my parents at the time, when I changed positions, were still actively teaching general music oh, in cool. Berks County. And where I ended up getting my position was in the same school district as my dad. So while I was living at home... <laughs> I've never heard of that. I know. <laughs> while I was living at home... My brother has a music ed degree, too. Oh, my word. I was living at home my first year teaching general music, and my parents were both always talking about Fire Robin this, and I used Fire Robin that oh, this really? afternoon. Oh, all the time. They had taken his classes at Westchester, both First Steps and okay. Conversational Solfege. And my brother and I would just kind of look at each other and roll our eyes the next time John's <laughs> name would come up. Right. So it was my first summer after my first year of general music, and my dad said, you're going to Westchester, you're taking First Steps, right. and you're going to start using Westchester this. University, which University, is here yes, in yes, Philadelphia area. Yes. So... I think it was 2010, I okay. took my first class with John, which was First Steps, and then 2011, I came back and did Conversational Solfege, and I haven't you looked back since. You were sold I was on sold, it. yes. I hear so many things from instrumentalists who have kind of become general music teachers. I feel like they, almost more than anybody, truly appreciate John's yes. work and yes. his programs for some reason. Like, it's not just a life raft, but it's like the best. You get on it yes. and it's like a yacht. <laughs> you know what I mean? And the thing I've heard from so many people that I've actually said myself is it makes sense. Yep. It just makes so much sense. My first year of general music, I felt like I had absolutely no idea what are these children supposed to know. And after I took first steps, it was oh, they can't really know anything until their brain is trained for what they need to know later. Right. Prepare it, them yes, for what they need to know. Yes, it just made so mm. much sense. Excellent. All right, so that's kind of how you did that and then eventually decided to become a teacher trainer. Yes. And you are a teacher trainer in First Steps in Music. Correct. Excellent. And you're doing some courses coming up. Yes, I will be at Grove City College out towards Pittsburgh. Okay. Uh, I believe that's early or mid-July. Okay. I don't know the dates offhand. 2019. When 2019, we're recording this now. yes. So if you're listening to this, say in October of 2019, sorry. Yes. 
Charlie, yeah. you missed out. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, well, thank you again for being here. Um, I wanted to talk to you about something that I see you post about mm-hmm. on the Fire Oven Fundamentals page on Facebook, which is your work with special needs yes. students. So I wanted to ask you about that because for me personally, it is not my wheelhouse. I feel like I was not trained well. and, Nor was and I. Yeah. And I was just going to say, and most likely you were not either. Right. But you have had the opportunity where I have not as much in my position. So I know, I was going to say dozens, but hundreds mm-hmm. of music teachers over the years who have just said, I feel so unsavvy about yes. this. I don't know what I'm doing. So I wanted to know how long you've been doing this in your general music classroom. So I am in my 10th year of general music. And so I have had exceptional learners in my inclusive classes all of those 10 years. It was not until about five years ago that I started having self-contained adaptive classes. Mm -hmm. I have an autistic support adaptive class at the elementary level, a life skills support adaptive class at the elementary level. And I had also for a couple of years taught high school life skills adapted music. Okay, so let's just, not that we could ever even scratch the surface of this, right? but I think one thing is, I'm sure from district to district, from state to state, the rhetoric is different, but you're calling it inclusion classroom. Is that what I would call a mainstream? Yes, yes. Special needs So they stuff? come with their regular grade level. Each of the students, when they are in the autistic support classroom, the life skills classroom, they are assigned to a regular education homeroom right. and they come to special with that homeroom. Right. But normally they might be somewhere else. Correct. Like, During content, they, yes. they may stay in their autistic support or life skills support classroom, but for special, they come with the grade level. Right. So that's what we're talking about when we when you say Correct. inclusion. I say mainstream. And then when we say self-contained, that's the same in my district. It's an actual, you know, the students in this class, generally speaking, are always together, just like a regular homeroom classroom. Okay, so you've been doing that. Are you still doing the high school? I am not. No, they finally, um, the high school, uh, the classroom I was placed in up at the high school was the life skills classroom. So I had no music materials there at all. Mm. And I was there a half an hour a week. So it wasn't working out. And the the high school music teacher actually approached me and said, I can see this isn't working out. I think if I were to do it, since I have more resources available to me and I'm in-house, I may be able to uh, create something a little more consistent. And I said, I am 100% on board on that because I'm not able to serve these children the way they deserve. So she and I worked together and now she is teaching the high school. adaptive music class. So tell me one more time, what's happening right now in your school that you're doing? Today, I am teaching a combination of adaptive courses for students in the autistic support classroom and students in the life skills support classroom. And what does that mean, adaptive classrooms? Or do you even know? (laughs) You see what I mean? I think everybody has like these labels, but for me personally, I sometimes don't know what they mean. The adaptive class, I've actually just this year started something different. The way it happened before, my adaptive classes were when all of the students from the autistic support classroom would come to me and we had an autistic support music class. All of the students in that. And then I would have my life skills music class, which would be labeled as an adaptive. What I started to realize over the years is that the students in those classrooms are also at so many different levels because I have a student who's in fourth grade and a student who's in first grade. And just because they both have autism, they are not at the same music level. So this year I decided to have an upper levels 
adaptive music and a lower level adaptive music. So the upper level is for those students who already are TBA, tuneful, beautiful, artful, okay. and they are ready for some conversational soulfish, and they're ready for more partner work because they've um, learned those social skills at this point. The lower levels tends to be for um, the nonverbal students who could be from either classroom, either special needs classroom, um, but it's more first steps based. Okay, so if I'm understanding correctly, in your school you have these self-contained classes. Correct. And you are saying, okay, here's what I'd like to do. The kids who have, I'll take the kids who are brand new or younger and do kind of first steps work. And then I'm going to take these older kids from the same classroom Correct. And pull them out. So if you want to think of it more not as upper level, lower level, you can think of it more as beginners and right. more experienced okay. in music class. How often are you seeing them? I am seeing both of those classes once per week for 30 minutes a week. Do you also see them in an inclusion classroom? I do. Oh, yes. that's great. And I have found so much benefit in doing that. Sure. Because when we first started the Adapted, it was very... Uh, administration didn't give a very clear directive on how <laughs> they wanted this to run. Shocker. So <laughs> it was... Students who have these particular labels are going to adapted music, and that's the end of the story. Right. And then over the years, it became a little more fluid. The uh, the teachers in those two classrooms really advocated for their kids and said, we want them to go to the mainstreamed sessions as well. So now some of them I will see twice per week, once in their mainstreamed lesson and then right. once in their self-contained lesson, which yeah. has proved very valuable. Yeah, I mean... I I used to do that. We used to do something like that a long time ago and people would complain. But I always said, I just think it's great. It's just giving them kind of a leg up on what what I have learned this year. I used to be one of those complainers and I hope nobody will take offense to that. (laughs) I'm still a complainer about everything. My complaints were more about, I don't know how to service service these children. Not that they were in my classroom. I want every child in my classroom. I want to know how to teach them effectively. Right, right. And what I've learned this year more than any other is that I have started to really figure out what these kids need and they're getting even more out of their mainstream class Mm. now because they can observe what the other students are doing. And sometimes it just, just as John says, the child vocal model is the most effective for teaching other children to sing. The child learning model. I almost think the observation of what the children are doing is making so much more sense to some of my, uh, especially the students in the life skills classroom. They Mm. really are starting to latch on to, hey, that student is doing this and such a motion. So when they come to their adapted, session, something they weren't doing three weeks ago, and I was ripping my hair out over it, I'm starting to see them do because they've seen the other students doing it. And it's really special. So this is something, you know, in a perfect world, and I know there'll be people listening who say, well, that would be nice, but I can't do it. But if if they can, number one, figure that out in their schedule, um, you would advocate going to administration and maybe suggesting something like I that. I absolutely would. Yeah. Yes. And I never honestly, even 10 years that. ago, I would have said, <laughs> no, uh, because right. I was intimidated by the idea of not knowing how to teach the special needs children. Yeah. And that leads into the next question, which is, and we touched on it before, yes. you know, um, did you feel prepared? You said not necessarily. Um, and have you kind of made it up as you've gone along? Let me just ask you this. What do you wish you could see in pre-service training Mm. from the colleges? You know, what kind of things would, and if you can't, if that's too much to answer, you don't have to answer. Or if it comes to you later, just answer it. But talk a little bit about what training you did get, if any, 
I was in college from 2000 to 2004, which was really when the IEP started to take over education. And what's an IEP? An individualized education plan. Yes, which is something for a student that's (laughs) very specific to the student. Yes. And it was honestly just three letters that the uh, teachers threw out in college and said, here, you have to know about this. You'll have to sign a paper and you have to know how to meet the needs of these children. And we said, okay. And (laughs) I left school and I started teaching and I looked at the IEP and I said, I have absolutely no idea how to read this. And I really had to kind of make it up. And even when I did read it, I said, okay, so it says do this for all classrooms. We'll count to 10 three times right. accurately with 80% accuracy <laughs> and you're saying boy we don't count to 10 in the music room right. so what do I we don't do? know how to adapt yeah. this to oh, my that's needs. so funny. So I really had to ask a lot of questions going along saying what does this mean? Yep. How do I do this? And then speaking to a special special education teacher uh, trying absolutely. to ask them hey how do I do this in my right. music class? They look yeah. at me the same way I look at them going I don't know what to tell well, you. you know, some of the best conversations I've had with now who are people who are my friends, I've said, if you were a music teacher and here were your goals, you know, so I'll say, you want them to sing a song. You want them to, you know, we're always trying to find some common ground. Maybe mm-hmm. that's like reading a book independently or, you know, I'll say, what would you do if I showed you how I did it, like, quote unquote, normally, mm-hmm. um, or how I routinely do it, how would it look different? And, you know, it's funny, the very first presentation I ever gave I don't know, 24 years ago, was at my undergrad school to a a group of pre-service teachers. And I said, I just wish somebody would have told me the onslaught of abbreviations and terms. And even things like what's in our building, the Sunshine Committee. I don't even know what that means. Oh, it's a social committee. Then we had something at that point called Building Support Committee. What's that? Now we have INRS. I barely know what that is now, but I kind of know what that is. I swear every year our administrators come to faculty meetings with new three-letter acronyms. Right, right. I never heard of that before. Sounds good. In the the Fire Robin Fundamentals book, Rachel Grimsby, our friend and our colleague, she wrote the chapter on special needs, which is amazing. And I said to her, and she knew, of course she knows this is important, but I was like, please just start defining what is an IEP? What is a 504 plan? Because I remember thinking, Oh, so every kid gets an IEP. Oh, no, no, not every kid gets an IEP. I'm like, well, how, how do you know who gets? Well, then some people have a 504, and then if they right. have a 504 if they have allergies, but they can also have a 504. I, yes. It's just overwhelming. Yes. And depending on a music teacher's schedule, they don't have the time no. to chase down the special ed teacher and yeah. say, hey, what does this mean? You know, right. we're really kind of left to fend for ourselves yep. in a lot of situations. So one thing to encourage teachers about is, if it's not happening, I'm in a building and a district where it's an important thing. Uh, we actually sit down with the child study team psychologist. Okay. Yes. She comes in. The special needs teachers give us folders for every classroom yes. or grade level, I should yep. say. And here are all the well. children with IEPs. And then she sits down with us, which is amazing, and says, let's talk about these things. Yes. Let's talk. And it's all the specialists, which has been great. But I know there are places where nobody is talking to the music yes. teacher at all. What would you say to that teacher? Like, what should they go ask for from their anyone, the child study team? Or I do very quickly want to go back to your question about what should... Pre-service? Yes. yes. In college, if 
if there are people on listening to the podcast who are in a college program at this time and they have knowledge of the fire op and curriculum and they're listening to this, right. I would encourage them go to the professors and ask, what resources can you direct me to that are specific to special needs in music education because it may not be something that's covered as core in the music ed program at their college but there are a wealth of resources out there i could recommend a book it's called fire robin fundamentals right. it's a chapter written by rachel grimsby right. and it's very comprehensive um <laughs> as far as being an in-service teacher go to your special education department and say I would like to know more specifics about each of these children and how I can serve them better. Can we find a time to meet? And honestly, they spend so much time advocating for their children in general. I imagine that they would welcome that with open arms. And they would say, let's get all of the specialists in here and talk. And we've actually done the same thing you've done. The four of us in my building, library, PE, and art, the four of us go to them at the beginning of every year and we say, what do we need to know about these children so that we're doing the best for them? And I mean, I think it's astonishing that you wouldn't have that conversation. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Like, or how I went for so many years. I just remember a colleague saying to me, oh, do you know when he does this action, don't ever let him touch an instrument or, and I said, nobody ever told me, how Correct. would I ever have Correct. known that? It changed everything. Or I would say, what do I do when this child starts pushing other children, screaming? Yes. It, it's just such a great resource to go to these specialists who are just like us you know experts in their field yes and say please help me and it's so funny it's just such a small thing that they say yes and I'm like oh okay well now all the difference because my my go-to used to be like well I guess I'll just treat you like I treat everybody else because I'm not sure what to do which is not effective yes anyway okay so that's great all right yeah so in this episode we're going to be talking on a more kind of global Mm -hmm. level you know, helping teachers who like I was many years ago, and kind of still am, unfortunately, but I'm better just because of experience. Yes. You know, so a person who feels clueless, you know, how can we start making these strides? So one of the most important strides is first, make sure you're getting the IEPs. Correct. You are actually getting them. And I think it's mandatory. I actually saw on the fundamentals page, somebody posted and said, how much access do you have to these documents? And I saw people who were posting and saying, I don't have access to these documents. That doesn't seem right. They are legally obligated to have access. Right. I'm I'm not sure if it varies from state to state. I imagine since it's a federal mandate, they should have a copy of it. I know... When I sign off, I am signing that I know where to find that document and I can go access it when I want to. Do they give it to you? It depends on the teacher. Uh, So in Pennsylvania, at least um, the program that we've been using, um, there are maybe two or three pages of what they call SDIs. And I think it's specific designed instruction or specialized design instruction. And that's where we have in the blocks in all classrooms, this student needs to be seated near uh, Ah. the teacher or seated near the board or seated so that their right ear is facing the teacher. And then you may see in the learning support classroom, this student must receive this type of instruction for taking tests in all classrooms, this student must receive this modification. So we will typically get the SDI pages because where the goals are and 
where all of the legal jargon is, is usually, sometimes I've seen IEPs that are 40 pages thick. Wow. And it's too much for the specialists to be going through, but we right. have access if you need to it. that entire document. Yeah. So we can say to the special ed teacher, where do I find this? Oh, it's on page six of the IEP. Right. So our teachers will either photocopy just the pages with the SDIs and right. give us like the abbreviated IEP that applies directly to us. That's what we us. get. Yes. Yeah. Or they will scan it into a PDF document and email us the PDF document and okay. we can access it that way. So you would encourage teachers, first of all, find out yes. what you're allowed to have yes. and insist on having, or you don't have to be rude, but I mean. Yes, the other thing I would it. recommend, if it's like the building that I work in, we have multiple special education classrooms and the students in those classrooms will sometimes actually, they'll receive services from more than one teacher. I know that some of our students who are labeled as learning support will also go to the emotional support classroom for instruction. So it can get kind of confusing who the case manager is. The uh. case manager is the person who writes the IEP and would know more than anybody else as far as what tips and tricks can you do? What right. is the answer when he starts pushing people? <laughs> right, exactly. So what I've done at the beginning of the school year, I now email the entire special education faculty and I say, which students are on your caseload? Oh, that's smart. For when I have a question, then I can refer back to that email because I know, oh, this student goes to three of our different special education teachers. I have to look, okay, oh, it's first grade learning support is the case manager. That's the one I go okay. to. Instead of chasing down the emotional yes, support teacher absolutely. and the life skills teacher. So do you have the same thing as we do in New Jersey, a child study team? Or is it called something different? If we do, I don't know what that is. Okay, so because I know we have, I think the flow chart is like student, you know, student and mm -hmm. parents, a child study team made up of psychologist, counselor, whoever, 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 okay. you know, maybe the occupational therapist, I don't know. And then one of those people is the case manager for that child. Because, you know, one person can't be it for every yes. child. I think we have what's called an IEP team. Okay, so similar Yeah, concept. and we have something called an LEA. Uh, you see what I mean? Yeah, that's crazy. <laughs> something federal, you'd think we'd have the same right. language everywhere. No, exactly. no. <laughs> but, you, you know, all you need to know is there is, you know, the child and their family and then yes. there's some kind of support the school team, representation, you know, yes. and then somebody is managing that and they will have an IEP or, or a 504 or a 504. Yes. And you can go and say, please direct me to the right place, Correct. you know, to, to get this and keep your eye out for students or just think, you know, where am I struggling? I never would have thought in the beginning of my career to think about this. I was just so overwhelmed with everything. Yes. That kind of tip from you know a parent or a teacher can change everything absolutely change your whole perspective on how you're treating that child at least for me yes because i it makes yeah, all the difference absolutely i i tend to get you know impatient and then i learn something like did you know you know she had four, yes. four surgeries this year yes and then i'm like everything changes for me yes and so i think that's great advice is to just arm yourself with as much information and remind yourself i guess i'm not you know a special needs specialist correct but i'm going to do everything i can and then use the resources you have do you have other recommendations for resources or as so far as human resources well uh -huh. either human well no or... <laughs> I, um the paraprofessionals yes. there are it, when you have your most um 
I don't want to say severe disabilities, but you know, there yeah. are students who come to your classrooms who have one-on-one aids. Sure. Those one-on-one aids are invaluable mm. resources to you. They can tell you they had a really bad morning today right. Right. and here's what we've been trying. They can say if you are for instance giving them the microphone and they are a student who you know is verbal and they're looking at you and you're not getting the response you anticipated. Mm. You go back later. I've had parents who come knock on my door maybe two days later and they say, hey, remember the other day when he wouldn't do that? Oh, he was in our classroom pantomiming that with somebody <laughs> in his class singing Which to himself. Amazing. And then so they can give you so much information about what's happening outside your classroom right. that you can then use inside mm. to say, hey, I don't have to lose my patience that he's not verbalizing right now because he's doing it in his autistic support classroom. Right, right. So it's still happening you know that even if ab- I'm not they're seeing absorbing it. it. Correct. Yeah. So so really make make use of these valuable Absolutely. kind of everyday people. Yes. We talked about the Fire Oven Fundamentals book, which yes. has that fantastic, very big yes. <laughs> chapter. You and Rachel and I, in a future episode, are going to be talking. You and I will talk more Great. about the specific things you do. Yes. First and first steps classes. And then another episode, we can talk about conversational solfege. Um, and with Rachel, I'll be talking more about what the research is telling us about, oh, I'm so about excited students to hear that. with special needs. She's doing a lot of work during her PhD studies about that. But is there any last thing you want to say to encourage teachers? You know, they might be, you know, saying like, oh, please tell us everything to do. I know. You know and we know. will well, over time. The thing is, though, if we were to tell them everything to do, we would have to meet every single one of their students. <laughs> yes, exactly. Because you can't say right, right. what I did for this kid in 2019 is going to work for the <laughs> Here's student what with the same with diagnosis. All autistic Yes. <laughs> well, and then autism, you know, manifests in so many different oh, yes. ways. And so, oh, yes. so are there some things before we end? And this episode that you want to say? Well, I actually, uh, I have just a short list here of kind of the things I've told myself to get me through. And the first thing you kind of already touched on, uh, forgive yourself for not knowing how to do it all right away. Yes. You have to learn as you go. And you're going to make what you may consider mistakes, but they're just, which scientist was it who said any mistake is not a mistake, it's just another way of finding out how to do it right, right, right you know right, right. um i have in capital letters ask for help yes talk to the I special think that education almost more teachers. than anything yes be patient, mm-hmm. which you've said oh, you can struggle with at times. That's be patient with the students, but also be patient with yourself mm. because you're trying just as hard as they are. Yeah. And remember that not every day will be perfection. Right. You will have those days that the students, I had just this week, I have had this student for the last five years. She is nonverbal. She does not look at me. She, mm. um, a fairly severe case in a wheelchair, very uh, limited gross motor movement. For the first time ever in my class, she did listen and move. When the drum played, she shook. And when the drum stopped, she stopped. Amazing. And it was a tears to your eyes kind of moment. Right, right. She's in there. Yeah. Think outside the box. Mm. I had a student 
who was very resistant to initiating any kind of movement himself, or he did not want to verbalize. He was not interested in being the one to perform. So I pulled out the infant and toddler curriculum and I started doing the wiggles and tickles on him. And it was the most calm I ever saw him. Oh, really? He had, um, he really liked his feet being touched. It would get to the point I did the wiggles on his toes. He would reach his feet out to me. Wow. He enjoyed music. Right. He didn't enjoy being the one to have to produce it. Right, right. Which was a big aha moment. Right, right, right. And celebrate even the smallest successes in your classroom. Mm -hmm. The girl who took five years to (laughs) shake when I played a drum. Right, right. Biggest deal ever. And when that girl, she holds the mallet instead of dropping it on the floor, that's the biggest success for the day. Right. And them watching you when you dance could be the biggest success when before they're just throwing their head from side to side because they're not interested. Yeah. So take the little successes and make them big for yourself because they really are a big success. Excellent. Well, thank you so much. I mean, even in a brief discussion, that's a lot of information. Yes. Thank you so much for letting me share. Oh, of course. Of course. I like to bring the experts in and talk and show where I'm not an expert. Um, (laughs) And hopefully in the future, we'll talk more, give more support you know, to the teachers out there, keep checking the Facebook page. Absolutely. And asking questions. I think there's the same thing that you were referencing. Ask for help. Yes. You know, nobody is going to benefit if you kind of stew and worry by yourself. Correct. Uh, When we reach out to others and we have such a great tribe, you know, in the Fire Robin community and the music education community. So thank you for being here. I look forward to the next time we can talk and learn more about this. And I personally will be thinking more about this uh, in my own classroom. And I look forward to learning more about it. So thank you. Thank you. Welcome back, everyone. Were you like me, overwhelmed with all the acronyms and initiatives when you first started teaching? It was great to talk to Leslie about some of those things and the basics like IEPs and 504 plans, or how it's important for us to know the case managers of our students so we can get the answers we need to best help them. There is so much to think about when it comes to working with every student in our population, and I'm very thankful for practitioners like Leslie who work so hard to be the very best teachers they can and who are willing to share their experiences with others. I am excited to talk in the future with Leslie as well as with famed teacher trainer Rachel Grimsby about how best we can bring high-quality, engaging music instruction to our special needs population. If you have questions for Leslie or comments about what you've heard, please head over to the Tuneful, Beatful, Artful Music Teacher Facebook page or to our Instagram account and ask those questions or just chat with other practitioners about the things you've heard on the podcast or music teaching in general. And now to our Ask Me Anything section. Today's question comes from Charlotte in Maryland. She says, Hi, Missy. I teach fourth and fifth grade general music and sixth grade through eighth grade band at a small school. The pre-K to third position has had a lot of turnover in recent years, and therefore my students are nowhere near tuneful, beatful, artful when they get to me. I've learned through the podcast that I should probably be focusing on more first steps types of activities at first, rather than conversational soulfish to help them get closer to that point. I was wondering if you knew of anyone who has adapted the first steps workout to this age 
and would be willing to help advise. I'm sure they would be receptive to much of the material, she means her kids, but I'm also sure there are age-appropriate tweaks that need to be made. Thanks for any direction you can provide. Thanks. Well, hello, Charlotte. I think it's fantastic that you are dedicated to the tuneful, beatful, and artful growth of your students. As you may have heard me say in previous episodes, I myself actually start every year and every grade with first steps like activities. Not only is this really fun and an engaging way to start the year, but it helps me assess where my kids are in their tuneful, beatful, artful journey, and if there's anything I need to do to help them. I always hold off on conversational solfege instruction in grades two to four if I feel like the kids aren't ready yet. So whenever I do these type of activities with my quote-unquote older kids, I think about a nice balance of little kid stuff, in quotes, and first steps activities that are a bit older kid friendly. Whenever I want these bigger kids to do that little kid stuff, I either just tell them flat out that we're going to play a game that I did with the younger kids because it's fun and because they're still kids, something that we talk about a lot in my classroom. I also tell them that I want to see them engaging with the little kids in the bus lines and at recess and at home with the things that they learn in class. So I teach them things that they can teach to the little kids, or I'm teaching them something that I also taught to the little kids. For the things that I talked about that are more geared towards bigger kids, I look to the four books that are for upper grades that Dr. Feyerabend put out, The Book of Song Dances, The Book of Canons, The Book of Playground Songs and Rhymes, and The Book of Song Tales for Young Adults. Those things you can get on GIAMusic.com. I hope this helps, and I hope you'll let us know how it goes. Hopefully someday soon you're going to have a great music teacher for the younger students and then you'll be able to focus more on the next phase of teaching your bigger kids. If you have questions you'd like me to answer or ideas for future podcasts or just general questions, please email the show at tunefulbeatfulartfulpodcast at gmail.com. If you'd like to find out more about Dr. Feyerabin and his programs and resources, please visit giamusic.com slash and please consider becoming a member of the Feyerabend Association for Music Education. And to do this, visit feyerabendmusic.org for more information. Thank you so much, as always, for listening in, and I hope it was helpful. Please tune in for our next episode, and until then, keep doing all you can to create a more tuneful, beatful, artful world.